Central Church podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumman. Take your copy of God's Word and turn to Genesis chapter 22. Those of you watching online, thank you for joining us this morning for worship. What an awesome time of worship we've had already this morning. Thank you uh, to our worship team and our tech booth and all the people that are working behind the scenes. You realize how blessed we are here at Central, and we get to celebrate in both services baptism, and also next Sunday, both services baptism. And so if you want to take that next step, we can praise the Lord for that. And so if you want to take that next step, hey, we can do it next Sunday. So please let, the, let us know by texting into that number. Uh, we'll share in a moment. But let's begin in prayer. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you. Father, we worship you because you are the God of all. You are king above all kings. You are never elected. You'll never be impeached. And you reign forever. And you're always on the throne. And so, Father, we trust you. God, we want to pray for our nation this morning. We want to pray, God, that you would provide unity and healing. God, that we would move forward. We, we echo the words of 1 Timothy chapter 2, in which we are called to pray for all of our leaders so that we would live in a, a life that is peaceful, God, so that the gospel would go forth. And we want to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, serving on the front lines, sharing the gospel in places that are hard and difficult. And God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would move mightily among them. Now, God, this morning, we ask that you would help us to see and to savor and to understand and comprehend with all the saints the height, the depth, and the breadth, and the love of God that surpasses all knowledge. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 22, we're ending our series uh, in Genesis, and next week we're going to be starting a series called First. And so let's look in Genesis chapter 22, and let's stand as we read God's word uh, one time here as we give reverence to it. The Bible says this, after these things... God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham arose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son, And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound his son, his Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. 
So Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. As it has been said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. You may be seated. When you went to school, how many of you enjoyed tests? How many of you just look forward for tests? Uh, you just said, you know what, I, I hope today there is a test or a pop quiz. Well, there's a story that I, I've been told about a guy who was in college, and this was towards the end of his semester. He had been studying so hard for a notoriously hard final exam in his ornithology class. And you say, what is ornithology? Well, it's the study of birds. And so he uh, was just studying all night, looking at all kinds of different species of birds and trying to just ace this exam. And as he walks into the, the room to take his test with all the other students, he, he notices something. Something was different. There, there was no multiple choice essay-based questions uh, because the test was completely different. What the professor did is he put up on a screen 25 pictures of which all that was there were not the birds in their colors so that you can kind of pick out there's a cardinal, there's a blue jay. No, it was just all 25 pictures of 25 different sets of birds' feet. And the test was to identify the 25 different species of birds by their feet. The young man looked and he said, this is not what I studied for. This is completely insane. There's no way I'm going to do it. Well, the professor heard him have a scene. And he says, what's the problem? And he says, professor, this is crazy. He says, no, this has to be done. He said, this is insane. There's no way. He said, the professor said, no, this is the final. The guy said, I'm not going to do it, professor. He says, if you don't do it, you will fail the course. You will fail the final. And the boy said, well, okay, you just go ahead and fail me. Well, the professor looked at him, and he was upset, and the, the guy was upset with the professor, and he says, okay, I'm going to fail you right now. What is your name? And the young man picked up his pants leg and said, you tell me, professor. You tell me. Now, listen, when it comes to test with God, that doesn't work. God knows your name. But, you know, in life, we're going to face different kinds of tests, and we're going to face different kinds of testing. And, and what I found that in the Christian life, tests that God, that God sends into our lives are often where the rubber meets the road. Well, here, as we end our series in the life of Abraham, we see that the life of Abraham is faith illustrated, but it's not faith perfected. As we've seen every Sunday, that Abraham was called to leave the known for the unknown, to take his, to trust the God of the impossible, and to take his hand off of his life so that that he could be a blessing to others. We've seen highs and lows. We've seen peaks and valleys. But yet what we have seen all throughout is a life marked by faith. And so as we get to Genesis chapter 22, it is the climax of Abraham's walk of faith. It is the final stage in a long journey in which God has transformed an ordinary man, an ordinary nomad from the town of Ur into an extraordinary figure in history. And this story that we read this morning is recorded uh, not only in the Bible, but it's even in the Quran. It, it is read every year on the second day of Rosh Hashanah in the Jewish religion. It is a very famous story. And yet what we learn is this, is that in Genesis chapter 22, we see the final test 
that points to the ultimate triumph of Abraham's faith. The final test that points to the ultimate triumph of Abraham's faith. So let's begin here with the final test of faith. In verse number one, it says, after these things, that is, time has passed. Now, we, uh, last week we were in Hebrews, and before that, uh, we were uh, in the other verses in, in Genesis, and we had kind of skipped ahead a little bit. So what we know is that Isaac has been born. As a matter of fact, scholars say that at the time of Genesis 22, he's a teenager, so he's probably around 15 years old. Uh, Ishmael and Hagar uh, have moved out. Abraham is at peace with his neighbors. As a matter of fact, chapter 21 talks about his treaty with a guy named Ahimelech and Beersheba. He is literally living the best life he's ever lived up to this point. Everything seems to be going well. All that he's ever prayed for, all that he's ever dreamed of, all that he's ever hoped for in his life has come to pass because of El Elam, which is the everlasting God. You'll see at the end of chapter 21. And it's in the midst of that context of everything going well in his life that the Bible says that God speaks, that God tests Abraham and he speaks to him. Now, it has been quite a while in which we see recorded that God has spoken to Abraham. And one of the things that we found that when God speaks to Abraham, it is often either to leave something good or to attempt something impossible. And so here God calls out to Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. This is a term of endearment. And Abraham says, here am I. Now, as we read that, we just kind of think of that as saying, all right, I'm here. But literally in the Hebrew, the idea is I stand ready to obey. In other words, he didn't say, oh, Lord, what what do you have for me now? Uh, He was ready to listen. He was ready to obey because he trusted God. And see, there's the difference between duty and, and joy. The difference between duty and joy is whether or not you trust Jesus. See, if you don't necessarily trust Jesus, if he asks you to do something, well, you'll maybe do it out of duty. You may do it out of obligation, but you don't, won't do it with joy. But when you trust Jesus and you know that he's got all things working together for good, you're going to do it with joy. I love what the hymn says, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord." And so Abraham says, here am I. And verse number two, God asked this request. He says, take your son, your only son. Now in the Hebrew, the language kind of slows down here. Up until this point, a lot of things, especially in chapter 21, have been this thing after this thing after this thing. But now, it seems that now the conversation is now getting more slower. And there's an emphasis as you read just the entirety of this chapter. The emphasis of this chapter is on the son. Not on Ishmael, but on the son Isaac. He says, your son, your only son, the son you love, Isaac. Isaac is the laughter of Sarah. Isaac is the laughter of God. His name literally means he laughs. And you think about that. It really is a funny story about Isaac. You know, on Isaac's uh, birthday, uh, his dad was 101. His mother was 91 years old. And so they all got diapers for their birthday. <laughs> and you think about that. Sorry, that, that was just there, and I shouldn't have said that. I won't say that in the second service. But anyway, what you see here is that Isaac really was his most precious possession. I shouldn't have said that. But he says to Abraham, offer him to me. Give him to me as a burnt offering. Sacrifice him to me. Give him to me. Now, this seems to be unbelievable, and I'm going to talk to you a minute about why this is actually something that Abraham would entertain, but I want you to think even more about who Isaac is. Isaac was the immediate fulfillment of the cosmic promises that God made to Abraham and Sarah that he would bless the world. 
This is the boy that Abraham and Sarah had been praying for, they had been waiting for, they have been longing and hoping for all of their lives. The, the boy here, Isaac, represented everything that they had left everything in their lives for. And as an old man, Isaac was Abraham's pride. He was his love. He was the one thing that he treasured, probably the most in his life, and maybe to a point, he was his emotional center, the source of his security and significance. But yet God says, I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to sacrifice for him to me. And so what does Abraham do? Well, we know, verse number three, the Bible says that he rose early in the morning. Abraham doesn't speak, only silent, quick obedience. He doesn't wait around. It seems that he probably didn't tell his wife, Sarah. Could you imagine that conversation? He just takes two young men. He takes his son, Isaac, and he saddles up the donkey, and they take off. And they go to the place that God had told him. They go to the mountain of Moriah. The mountains of Moriah is a kind of a mountain range right outside of the city or right inside the city of Jerusalem. It was about a 50-mile journey from Beersheba, where Abraham was, to up to Jerusalem. And so the Bible says on the third day, they arrived. And I want you to imagine that three-day journey. Imagine just for that moment, you know that you, God has told you that you're to sacrifice your son. You've not told Isaac. Imagine what those three days would have been like. How difficult that would have been, this three-day father-son hiking trip, camping trip. And now, Abraham on the third day sees, he lifts up his eyes and he sees the very mountain where God has called him for complete obedience. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Real faith is not always seen in the initial response, but is demonstrated on the third day. See, the first response of Abraham was very strong, but, you know, for some of us, maybe when you made a decision to follow God, to obey God, that, that first day you made that decision was really strong, but when it came to the third day, you began to falter. You know, you, you can show your faith on the first day, but you really show your faith on the third day. You know, Abraham was willing to obey on day one, but after a two or three day hiking trip with his son, maybe he began to rethink the whole thing. But no, Abraham continues to go. You know, some of you, maybe you have trusted Christ as your Savior, and, and yet you're very hesitant to be baptized because, because you're worried about what other people are going to say. Yes, you could say, I know I've trusted Jesus as my Savior, but now the third day faith is calling you to publicly proclaim that as these two did this morning. Maybe some of you, you've made a decision. I'm not going to live with my, my boyfriend. I'm not going to live with my girlfriend anymore until we get married. And, and day one, you make that decision. But day three, you begin to fall back into old patterns. Maybe day one, you say, I'm going to be generous with my life. I'm not going to spend all my money for myself. I'm going to be generous to the things of God. But day three comes and some unexpected thing you want shows up. And now you begin to falter. It's easy to have faith on day one. It's hard to have faith on day three. But what does Abraham do? He continues. In verse number five, the Bible says that Abraham tells the young men to stay. He and Isaac are going to worship the Lord and come again. Now notice this, as you read this, it's as if he's saying, we are leaving, but we are going to come back. Because here Abraham somehow, someway trusted that God was going to bring them both back. He knew that God had a promise to keep regardless of what happened on that mountain. So in verse number six, Abraham gave Isaac the wood to carry. Think about this. And what does Abraham carry? He carries the knife and the fire. He, he carries the instruments of the sacrifice. Isaac, think about this, is the only beloved son. He is the hope of the world. He is the source of all blessings. And he is trudging up a hill with wood on his back. 
Does that remind you of anyone? Verse 7, Isaac talks to his dad. This is the very first conversation that we have and the only conversation that we have in the Bible between Abraham and Isaac. He says, Dad, I see the wood. Dad, I see the fire. Dad, I see the knife. But where's the lamb? No doubt Isaac had seen his dad sacrifice to the Lord. No doubt he, had, he knew the ingredients. And Abraham looks at his son and he says, the Lord will provide for himself. The word provide there means to see to it. The Lord will see to it, my son. The Lord will provide. He says, I don't see the lamb and, and you don't see the lamb, but the Lord will see to the lamb. Somehow, some way, God is going to provide. It won't be something I can do, but it's something that God can do because God taught me, son, that there's nothing too hard for the Lord. Maybe perhaps in that moment, Abraham remembered the encounter that he had in Genesis 15 where God took responsibility on both sides of the covenant. See, what drove Abraham up that mountain was not the strength of Abraham's character. Abraham did not say to his son Isaac, I will figure it out. I will find a way. No, he looked at his son and he said, God is faithful and God is good. Listen, my friends, what is going to keep you moving in obedience on day three is not the strength of your character. It is not the morality of your life. It is your unwavering conviction of the goodness and promises of God. That's what's going to keep you going. So the Bible says in verse number 9 that Abraham built an altar and he bound his son. Now Isaac was a teenager. Or at least he was old enough to carry wood up a mountain. And yet the Bible says here that he bound his son and he gets him on the altar. Now think about that. Why would Isaac, a 15-year-old kid, do that? Because he trusts God and he trusts his dad. You know, I've thought about this. Would, would my kids do that? Would your kids do that? You think about that. I, I've got an 11-year-old son that's, he's going on like 30. I mean, he's just a big guy. And I'm like, I don't know if I could bound him up. See, the only way that Isaac would do this is because he inherited that trust in God that he saw in his dad. See, he no doubt heard his dad talk about El Shaddai. He no doubt heard his dad talk about El Elam. He no, no doubt understood that, that God was almighty and that he was the everlasting God. And he heard his mom and dad live it out and he saw that it was real to him. And I think that was what caused him to be obedient. And the question that I have for all of us this morning is that do how we live and how we give and how we obey God teach our kids and grandkids to trust God? Now, you may think, well, how in, the world did how in the world could Abraham do this? I mean, doesn't this, maybe you're very new to the Bible, and you're like, this sounds crazy that God would ask a man to sacrifice his son. What was he doing? Was he asking God, or was, was God asking Abraham to murder his son? And the answer is no. This was not a command to murder Isaac. If it were a command to murder Isaac, Abraham could have just went into Isaac's tent and killed him. There would have been a whole lot easier things to do. No, there's something deeper, and Tim Keller very much helped me in this. And here's what he said. He says, the offering of the firstborn, which Isaac was, in the Old Testament, symbolized the debt the man, uh, that man owed to God. Throughout the Old Testament, God lays claim to our firstborn because it represents our very lives. In the Hebrew sacrificial system, God required the firstborn of the cattle or the sheep to be sacrificed to him, as well as the first fruits of grain. The only way that you could spare the life of the firstborn was to make a sacrifice in its place. 
So you remember at the Passover where God killed the firstborn of every household in Egypt that did not have the blood of the lamb on the doorpost? See, it was the life of the firstborn that was forfeit unless some sort of redeeming sacrifice was made. So God was showing that there is a debt that every family owns and it goes to our very own lives. All of us have a debt of, to God because of our sins. And in Abraham's mind, when God told him to take your son, your only son Isaac, your firstborn son, and sacrifice him to me, he understood what was going on. Abraham knew what God was asking for. See, if Abraham had thought that God had told him to kill Sarah, then I will know that you love me, Abraham would have never done that because he would have concluded that he was hallucinating because God would have never commanded a senseless murder like that. And God would not have said it because that would have been murder. But when God said, offer Isaac, Abraham knew exactly what that meant. The firstborn, it represented his very life and the debt that every man owes to God. And in this moment, Abraham's mind is, God is calling in the family debt. Now to us, in our minds, on this side of the cross, we don't understand all of that. But in Abraham, on his side of the cross, he understood that. That God here in this moment was calling in the debt. He was saying, you, because you're a sinner, there is justice that must be had. And there is the test of Abraham's faith. The final test. But it also, not only is the final test, but it leads, it points us to the ultimate triumph. So let's pick up. Abraham then reached out his hand and took the knife. He, he was about to slit the throat of his son Isaac. No, no doubt this is the same move that he made when he slit any other throat of any other animal at that time. He, he knew here in this moment that God was calling in the dead and God sh uh, that Abraham here is showing to God that there is nothing that he would not trust God with. There is nowhere he would not go with God. And here's the thing, Abraham had not read Genesis 22 yet. But he believes as he holds that knife in his hand that somehow, some way, God was going to see to it. That God was going to be a God of justice and a God of grace. Now think about that. The command to take your son, your only son Isaac, and sacrifice him to me was, was the command of God that says the debt of your sin has to be paid. That was what the command said. The, the command of God was the debt has to be paid. That's justice. If there's a debt, you have to repay it. But then the promises of God told Abraham that salvation was going to come to the world through your seed. And so in Abraham's mind, as he holds that knife in his hand, somehow, some way, a holy God is gracious and somehow a gracious God is holy. As a matter of fact, Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, that by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, verse 18, of whom he said, through Isaac shall, be, uh, shall your offspring be named. And then verse 19, for he considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham, in his mind, says, I don't understand what's going on here, but there is some way, somehow, uh, uh, the fact that God, a holy God can be gracious and that a gracious God can be holy. And so in verse number 11, as Abraham is about to do this, this thing that no dad would ever really in their right mind ever want to do, a voice came. 
Now, I, I'm doing this very dramatically because I want you to understand that in the Hebrew, the thought, this is a very dramatic moment. The angel of the Lord, who is Jesus, cried out, Abraham, Abraham. That doubling of the name here is a term of endearment. Do not lay your hand on the boy. And then the angel of the Lord pointed to him a ram in the thicket. Not a lamb, but a ram. And Abraham took that ram and sacrificed it instead of Isaac. What you see here is that God provided a way, a substitute. Instead of making Abraham pay the debt, God paid the debt for Abraham. God did not make Abraham pay his debt. And so Abraham, could you imagine the relief? Could you imagine Isaac's relief? It was a close one, Dad. Abraham looks and he is in awe of how a holy God can be gracious and how a gracious God can be holy. And he says, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. There in that place, a significant moment on that mountain, the mountain of Moriah, he says the Lord will provide, the Lord will see to it. God did see to that sacrifice, but the phraseology here is not just in a present one time only, not in a past, something that took place in the past. It is in a future tense. God will see to it. This was a future statement. He says, yes, God did it today, but he will do it. See, the reason why Isaac was not sacrificed is because God provided a substitute for Isaac in a ram. But here's what you have to understand. The ram was really not enough to pay the sin debt of anybody. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4 says, It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Isaac himself was not enough to pay for the sins of the family. He wasn't enough. Even if Abraham would have killed his firstborn son Isaac, it wouldn't have washed away one sin of the family. See, the true substitute for Isaac was not a ram, but the lamb of God. Jesus is the lamb of God, the offspring of Abraham, the beloved son, the hope of the world. And therefore, on that mountain, God did not, or Abraham did not name the place Abraham's obedience. He named the place God will see to it. The same God who did this here is the same God who's going to do it there. And see, what's more impressive in this story and what's most impressive in this story is not Abraham's obedience, but it's God the Father's commitment. And I don't want you to leave here thinking that this text is teaching us that for us, we are to go and do likewise. We were to go take our sons up to the top of a mountain and, and attempt to murder them or to sacrifice them to God so that God would then understand how much we love him. But no, what this teaches us is not how much we love God, but it t teaches us how much God loves us. See, Jesus, think about this, would come from Isaac. But yet Isaac typifies Jesus. Think about how the, there's a typology here. Both had a promised birth. Both were born of miracles. Both were led up to a mountain to be sacrificed by their father. Both had a three-day journey. Both both of them had two men alongside of them. Both carried their own wood on their backs. Both Isaac and Jesus willingly submitted themselves to the will of their fathers, and both were bound, and both cried out to their fathers. But here's the difference. Isaac wasn't sacrificed for sin. Jesus was. 
Isaac was answered by his father that God would provide a lamb. Jesus was the ultimate lamb that God provided, but yet Jesus cried out to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet no voice came from heaven to deliver him. Why? Because God loves us. Romans chapter 8, verse 32, the Bible says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So in verse number 12, the Bible says that when God saw Abraham's sacrifice, he says, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for I know that you fear God, saying that you've not withheld your son, your only son, from me. God says, now I know you love me, because you would not withhold your only son from me. But for us today, when we look at the sacrifice of Jesus, we should say to God, God, now we know you love us, for you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you loved from us because here's what you have to understand God did not just forsake his son God crushed his son on the cross so that we would never be crushed God forsook his son on the cross so that we would never be forsaken amazing love how can it be that thou my God would die for me in verses 16 through 18 God says, because you've done this, I will multiply you. He says in verse 15, the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven, and he said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Notice what God says, because you obeyed your blessing. And because Jesus obeyed, we are saved. But I think there is a principle that if we obey, we can be a blessing. Because when our faith and obedience to God when we do that, it is a means by which God blesses the earth. It blesses others and multiplies believers on the earth when we're obedient. So what do we do with this? I've got a few minutes. First thing I want you to understand is that often what you relish in life, God will ask you to release. The thing that you often hold dear in your life, God may ask you to release. But here's what you have to understand, that when you do release it, God replaces it with something far better. And that is himself. And when you release it and God release and replaces it, he then rewards your faith. But here's what you have to understand. Abraham's story is not ultimately about Abraham. Abraham's story is not about just have faith and just believe and do what God says and you'll be okay. Because many of us may obey God, may believe in God, but we may have trouble in this world. See, what's most impressive is not the obedience of Abraham. It's the love of Jesus. Amen. See, the cost of Abraham's faith was paid for by Jesus. See, Christianity is not about how much you do for God. 
Christianity is about what God has done for you. See, Jesus is the son who obeyed perfectly, who died in your place so that you can go free. And so in response to what Jesus did for you, your response, our response should be to surrender all things to him. Here's what I want to end with, and I'm going to be very quick. I'm afraid that for many of us, Christianity is just an add-on. It's just something we do. But Christianity cannot be an add-on. It can't be like, it can't be like you, you know, if, I don't know, on Amazon, you can go and you can order some clothes on Amazon and you can try it on and if it doesn't fit, you can send it back. I don't want you to get the idea that Christianity is like buying a piece of clothing on Amazon that you try it on to see how good it looks on you. For a lot of people, even within the church, that's what we've made Christianity to be. It's just something that as long as it makes us feel good about ourselves, we'll continue to follow Jesus. But if I don't feel good about myself, I'm out. See, what we learn in Abraham is that God doesn't just want part of you. God wants all of you. And so, surrender is the response of a grateful heart that says, God, you have given me everything, and without you I am nothing. So in response to that, here is all that I have. And so that's the call this morning. That's the application. Is in light of all that God has done for you in Jesus Christ, are you willing to just say, I give you my life? For some of you online and some of you in this room, you need to give your life to Christ, just like Ronnie did, just like Jackson did. You need to surrender your life to God. I'm not saying pray some prayer and get baptized and do the hokey pokey. No, I'm telling you to surrender your life to Jesus right now, just as you are, just where you are. If you're watching online, you can right now where you are, in the comfort of your own home, turn your life over to Jesus. But those of us who have been redeemed, We have to remember that God will see to it and God has seen to it and God will continue to see to it. And therefore, our response is, God, all that I have, I surrender. All that I am, I freely give. Worldly pleasures, all forsaken, I give it all to you. That's how we're going to make it. Whether you're elated from the election results or you're deflated from the election results, it doesn't matter because Jesus is king. And he deserves... Not your criticism. He deserves your surrender. And so today, surrender your life to him. Let's pray. And while I'm praying, if you're here in this room or you're watching online, you can surrender your life to Jesus. Right now, just where you are, just as you are, you can give your life to him. And maybe that's where you are. Maybe you are saved, but you're struggling. Or maybe you're not saved, or maybe you don't know that you're right with God. Maybe you're feeling that where you've never really surrendered your life to Him. And so maybe in that moment, right now, you could surrender your life to Him. Maybe you would pray a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that You are just and my sin deserves punishment. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that He rose from the dead triumphant over my sin so Jesus I ask that you forgive me of my sins and that you save me I surrender my life to you I give you my life take it it's yours in Jesus name Father help us to give our lives to you you have been faithful now you're going to be faithful forever 
help us to be faithful to you today. In Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net.